Heart of the Herald Angels Sing was written by Charles Wesley. You recognize the name John Wesley. He is typically uh, looked at as the founder of, of the Methodist Church, of Methodism of that day. His brother Charles was looking for ways through music to teach deep theology. And so when we think of the angels singing glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners can be reconciled. That is the good news of Christmas. Take your Bibles, please, and turn me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to pick up in verse number 8 as we think about the herald of the angels in Luke chapter 2. And man, what a great, great job, David. Thank you and for our media folks and our orchestra and choir, children. Wow, what a great, great worship this morning. What a blessing. I didn't even know I was going to be able to preach after all that. Wow, so good. What a blessing. Luke chapter 2, let's pick up together in verse number 8. Read from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. With that, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for the message of Christmas. And take these next few moments and may it be driven deep in our heart that the message of Christmas is good news. In your name we pray, amen. Christmas is all about good news. The message of Christmas, the theme of Christmas, the, the, the truth of Christmas is all about good news. But that good news does not center around family parties and buying presents. The truth of it all centers around the fact that God stepped into humanity and that he was laid in a humble manger. And as we think about the angels proclaiming his birth to the shepherds, we really think about angels throughout the birth narratives and how God used angels in the birth narratives to share the message of what was going to happen. We look back in Luke chapter 1 and there's an angel that comes to Zacharias, who's John the Baptist's father, and says, you're going to have a son, he's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. Then in Luke chapter 1, an angel shows up to Mary and says, you're highly favored and, and through you, the, the one who is going to be born is, is going to ultimately be the savior for all people. Then the angel shows up to Joseph in Matthew chapter 1 and says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. 
5. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Then an angel shows up to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. On the evening that Jesus is born. And then in Matthew chapter 2. After the wise men have visited. This is probably a couple years down the road at least. There's an angel in, in Matthew chapter 2 around verse number 13. That warns Joseph to take Jesus out of the vicinity and to flee to Egypt. So there are angels all surrounding the story. Now, growing up in our house, on top of our Christmas tree, there was always an angel. Matter of fact, there's a lot of things of decor that involve angels. And there's even a movie that says that every time a bell rings... An angel gets its wings, all right? So there is this message of angels. But God used angels to be the first people who would proclaim the birth of Jesus. The angels declared the good news. It's not about the angels, but the angels were the first to declare the good news. The truth is, it's all about the good news. So I want us to think quickly this morning of some different thoughts about the good news. First off, the good news was shared by angels. The good news was shared by angels. As we think and, and we look at this word that the angels came and we proclaim to you this day or uh, unto you this day is born, you know, kind of that proclamation there. It's an interesting Greek word that is used that we're announcing good news or we're proclaiming good news. And it is the word euangelizo. Now, if you would take the letter upsilon in the Greek and change that to a V, it would be evangelizo. It means to evangelize, to share the good news. So the angels were the first evangelists to share that Jesus was here, that the birth announcement of Jesus is, is, has arrived. The Messiah has come. They were sharing the good news. They were evangelists. They were sharing good news. Just as we're called to be evangelists and to share the good news, the angels shared the good news. Now, I'm sure somewhere down along the line, you have received a birth announcement. You've got something in the mail with, you know, welcome to our world. This is, you know, uh, baby Joe, and here he is, and gives the details on it. Or now on social media, those kind of birth announcements go out. Uh, you can see them. Sometimes you get a text of a picture with a baby. It, it's just an amazing thing. So so really now, it kind of focuses around three areas. First off, there's the... the the girl telling, or the family sharing that, that the person is pregnant. Then there is the gender reveal. And then there is the birth announcement. Which I don't want to give anything away. But if you look at my shirt this morning, we had a little gender reveal this week. So anyway. <laughs> so, so when we think about those kinds of things, the angels were proclaiming and evangelizing and sharing. They, they didn't use email and they didn't use even SkyMail. They used their voices to proclaim. The angel comes and says, look, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. Secondly, we find on the good news. The good news was given to shepherds. The angels appeared. It tells us that while there were shepherds out in the same country or the same region, there were shepherds watching, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord stood before them. Now you have to picture the, the kind of social structure of, 
of Israel at that time just for a moment to genuinely appreciate the angels going to the shepherds. Because when we look at the social strata of life in early Israel, we find that shepherds were on the bottom rung, the very bottom rung. Matter of fact, they were considered to be on the bottom rung along with the dung sweepers, all right, and the tax collectors, those who had betrayed their country and those who were essentially pooper scoopers, all right? I mean, that was that was eventually who, I mean, they just kind of ended up in that crowd. And yet, the Lord would choose to announce his birth to humble, lowly shepherds. But I want us to notice something about these shepherds, because it was in the same region, the same country, that there were shepherds out in their field keeping watch over their flock by night. These angels were exactly where they were supposed to be, doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing, keeping watch over their flock when the Lord showed up. If, if I could just segue just for a moment and take a side trip, sometimes we look at work and especially some kinds of menial labor as, as a curse upon us. Can I tell you, that's exactly opposite of scripture. Did you realize that Adam had a job before the fall? He had responsibility. Martin Luther and John Calvin, they would share that in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, where it says, whatever we do, whether we eat, drink, whatever we do, we're to do all to the glory of God. Same thoughts are in Colossians 3, 17 and Colossians 3, 23, that whatever we do, we do for the glory of God. And they began something that was called the Puritan work ethic or the Protestant work ethic that said, all that I do, I'm to do as an act of worship before God. And so they thought and they taught that working hard was something that we should do to the glory of God so that our work would be part of our worship. And what do we find here about these shepherds? They were faithful to do the task that was assigned. It was a lowly job. It was a demeaning job, but they were faithful. And the same call is upon us today. Work is not a curse. Work is a responsibility and ultimately a reward. I was sitting with Dr. Bailey a few weeks ago and he was, we were talking about this. Work is a reward. It is part of, of how God works in our life. That when we're able to do something to the glory of God, then it should be recognized as an act of worship. Then it says that the angel of the Lord shone around them and the, uh, the angel of the Lord came to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. The CSB says they were greatly afraid. So they not only were faithful, but at this moment they are greatly afraid. And who wouldn't be? Have you ever been out when it's country dark? I mean, you know, St. Charles, St. Peter's, we don't have dark anymore. I mean, you know, even if you go out into your uh, backyard at night, I mean, there's there's city lights and all that. You get out where it's country dark, and you recognize that when this angel shows up, it has been dark, and the angel shows up and says, hey, I'm bringing you good news. 
Thirdly, we see that this good news was not only brought by angels and given to shepherds, but the third thing is that the good news focuses on Jesus. The good news focuses on Jesus. It is not about parties and presents, and it's not about a day off work, and it's not about family gathering. All of those things can be good and wonderful. But the truth of the Christmas story focuses around Jesus, unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now notice how the angels, one angel to begin with, begins to speak to them. And he describes the truth of who Jesus is. First off, he says, Jesus is Savior. Unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. Let me, let me just get real honest with you. If you don't need a savior, you don't need Christmas. You wonder why some people don't want to say Merry Christmas? They have no need for Christmas because they don't think that they need a savior. When we recognize that we need a savior, we recognize the importance of Christmas. That Jesus would come in Matthew one twenty one. It says his name will be called Jesus. He will save his people from their sin. So there has to be a recognition of my sinfulness and my need to need a savior. A savior is born. He is Messiah or Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the one who is destined to rule over all and to stand over all. He is the Christ. He is the one set aside by God to be the Messiah. So that John would say in John 20, 20, 31, that these things were written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. We have to recognize that Jesus is Savior, Jesus is Christ, and thirdly, that Jesus is Lord. When we think of Jesus being Lord, we recognize, again, that Lord, sometimes with a small l in scripture, is is considered someone who is a master or someone who is a ruler. I think the angel is going deeper here. The angel is saying, he's not just a Lord, a master. He is the Lord of lords. He is the master. He is the king of all. That's the picture. When we think about that word Lord again and how it's used through scripture in Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 10.9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus is Lord or for everyone, Romans 10, 13, who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Or Philippians 2, 9 through 11. One day every knee is going to bow and tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's talking about his deity. So as we think of this manger scene and we think of the angel's proclamation, Jesus is Savior. He is Christ, Messiah. He is Lord but he is baby. He's baby. And herein comes the, again, the most remarkable part of this whole, uh, whole incarnation that God would step into humanity, that the Savior, the, the anointed one, the Christ, the Messiah, the Lord, the Lord of all, would be laid in a humble, 
feeding trough. He is Lord. And here he's baby. Now I wonder how they had to think. Unto you is born this day in the city of David. A savior which is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign. You'll find the babe. I mean, it just doesn't seem to make any sense. When you think of Savior, Messiah, Lord, you think of someone with great power and great strength. You think of someone with great authority. And here we find angels proclaiming to lowly shepherds that Jesus has been born. How would you have done it? How would you have done it? Would you have had the an angels announce to the kings and the rulers and had Jesus in the nicest room in all of Israel? How would you have done it? Judith V. Orst wrote a little poem a few years, several years ago now. And it's from a child's perspective. And it's the poem, If I Were in Charge of the World. You know, if you were in charge of the world, you probably would have done this a lot differently. Judith V. Orston, this, wrote again from the perspective of a child, and she wrote this. If I were in charge of the world, I'd cancel oatmeal, Monday mornings, and allergy shots. If I were in charge of the world, there would be brighter nightlights, healthier hamsters, and basketball baskets 48 inches lower. If I were in charge of the world, there wouldn't be lonely, and you wouldn't have clean, and you wouldn't have bedtime, or don't punch your sister. You wouldn't even have sisters. (laughs) If I were in charge of the world, a chocolate sundae with whipped cream and nuts would be a vegetable, and all 007 movies would be PG, and someone who sometimes forgot to brush, and sometimes forgot to flush, would still be allowed to be in charge of the world. What if you were in charge of the world? Would this scene have looked differently? This lowly scene in a cave or a barn, an outbuilding, where the Son of God the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, would not just be a baby, but would be a baby laid in a roughed up old feeding trough for animals. The good news focuses on Jesus. Fourth, we find that the good news brings glory to God. As the angel is sharing this message, it tells us, then a a multitude of heavenly hosts show up, praising God and saying, I I have to just think of this moment. Just, you know, it tells us that, that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be changed. I have to think that, man, just in the twinkling of an eye, immediately there was this descending army from heaven that began to cry out, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God. What a moment this had to be. 
There was no glory to Mary and Joseph at this moment. There was no glory to the circumstances and the situation and the place. But God would bring glory to himself through sending his son. And ultimately, the message of Christmas is not what you bring to the table. It's not about me getting to heaven because I was so glorious I could work hard enough. Or I could do enough. Or I could be enough. The truth of the matter is, is if we could glory in our money and get to heaven that way, then you would think that the people with money would be the people that would walk closest to the Lord. And yet it has nothing to do with that. Jesus would even say that it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than one who's so filled up with their material possessions to enter the kingdom. Glory is to God at this point. There's, there's nothing here except this angel army showing up. Now, understand, and I think that uh, maybe we sometimes picture this group of angels as, you know, uh, a, a group of uh, beautiful singers. And they may have been. But friends, when we talk about a multitude of heavenly hosts, we are talking about an angelic army proclaiming glory to God. The king has come. In 1798, the United States Marine Corps band became the president's own United States Marine Corps band. And for nearly 225 years, just next year, 225 years, the Marine Corps Band has stood as the longest professional music group uh, here in the United States. They've gone on for 225 years. And when the president goes somewhere, uh, all the way from Lincoln at Gettysburg to uh, specific addresses and, and certain special events, the Marine Corps Band plays. And they play Hail to the Chief. Can I tell you, from eternity past, at that moment that God created angels, there has been this mighty multitude of angelic armies that proclaim, glory to God, worthy is the Lamb. And the picture is shown at this moment where we think of these angels proclaiming, glory to God in the highest. Fifth, we find that the good news not only brings glory to God, but the good news offers peace to men. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, peace. Oh, if there's something missing in our day today, isn't it peace? I mean, you, I sign on to Twitter every once in a while and, and I always question myself, why did I do that? Because it is filled with angry, uh, snarky, critical people who just want to lambast, if anybody even does something good, but they're from a different political side, then they'll say, well, look at this and this and this and this and all these bad things. They, they can't even have someone that they would politically disagree with receive a compliment, even if they did something very noble. There is no peace. 
Again, if peace could come through money, then we would think the richest people in the world would be the most peaceful people in the world. You can read the news and find that's not true. If if peace could come through fame, you would think Hollywood would be the most peaceful place on earth. And we know that's not true. If power could be bring peace, then we would think Washington, D.C. would be the happiest place on the earth. And we know that's not true. Peace is not found in, in finances, and it's not found in fame, and it's not found in popularity. Peace is found in a person. His name is Jesus. It's not even found in a place. You can travel to Bethlehem today and not experience the peace that the angels talked about. You can walk the streets of Bethlehem and and you can walk the streets of Jerusalem. And can I tell you, it's just like walking streets, except things happened a couple thousand years ago or 3,000 years ago or 4,000 years ago. We look at the United States and think, man, this was 300 years ago this happened. And they look back and say, 5,000 years ago this happened. As we think about peace, peace comes only through a person. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And isn't this the exact words of Charles Wesley? Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Romans 5.1 Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace comes through a person. If you've never experienced peace, I mean inner peace, spiritual peace, personal peace. It doesn't come from vacation and going off on the beach. I mean, you might have some semblance of peace there for a couple days, but as much as you like it, you all have to come home. Peace is not found in a place or a position. It's found in a person. Peace on earth. Goodwill to man. Finally, we think about good news. And that is that the good news requires a personal response. It's not good enough just to know the stories of Jesus. Knowing the stories of Jesus has never gotten anyone to heaven. Matter of fact, the devil and the demons know the stories about Jesus. They witnessed them. You believe in God? James says, you do well, but the devils believe that and they tremble. The personal response is, is Jesus, I recognize you are Savior and I need to be saved. That I have sin in my life. Jesus, I recognize that you're the anointed one. You're the one that God sent, the chosen one who would die on the cross and I trust you alone. Jesus, you are Lord. You are in sovereign control over all things. And the Christmas story often ends in a manger But that's just the beginning of this perfect plan that God would put in place so that Jesus would live a perfect life, 
die on the cross, pay the penalty for our sin, rise from the dead, be our Savior, our Lord, our Messiah. But knowing Jesus is Savior, Lord, and Messiah, that doesn't save. You have to trust him alone as the only way of salvation. So my question is, have you trusted Jesus? Have you received personally the good news? Not just heard it, but received it in your, in your life and in your heart and trusting that alone. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Today's been a day of great music and celebration. But the reason that we celebrate is because the good news that Jesus has come, that God and man can be reconciled because of what God did, that God took the initiative. He sent Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead. Now he offers us forgiveness and eternal life. Have you received the good news? Lord, I pray that if anyone today has not received the good news of Jesus, that today they would open their heart to you. And it's in your awesome and wonderful and powerful and glorious name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. David's going to lead. and We're going to have a time of reflection. Pastor Jerry will be here. I'll be here as well. Let me ask you today, is the message of Christmas somebody else's good news? I mean, you may have enjoyed the holiday. A lot of people have enjoyed the holiday. But let me just give you a sobering word that always just rings in my heart and it really, it troubles my heart at Christmas and especially at Easter. When people hear the message that Jesus is the Savior and they reject him, but they celebrate Christmas, they celebrate their own condemnation. That Jesus has come, he's the Savior, and I've rejected him. I don't know what it's going to look like to stand before God for those people. But I think in Revelation chapter 20, when, it, when they stand before the Lord at the great white throne, there will be no excuses. So today I ask you, have you received the good news of Jesus? Are you trusting him alone?